Welcome to the Research and Innovation Podcast. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about ventilation and fresh air and the role that this plays in healthy building design and offices. So I'm Matt Davis. I'm an associate professor in organizational psychology at the Business School. And I'm joined today by two experts, Professor Kath Noakes and Professor Simon Rees. So my name is Kath Noakes. I'm a professor of environmental engineering for buildings at the University of Leeds. I'm a member of the steering group for this project, and I've been very involved with supporting the COVID response um, since April 2020. I've been on the SAGE committee. Hi, I'm Simon Rees. I'm in the School of Civil Engineering at University of Leeds. I'm professor of building energy systems, and I'm working on the Adopting Offices project as an engineer and commenting really on what are the implications in terms of how people want to adopt working patterns and how they use offices and what all that means in terms of building design and the building infrastructure. Fantastic. Thank you both so much for joining us today. And, and as Simon mentioned, this, uh, this podcast is related to our uh, Adapting Offices project. Um, Simon, do you want to maybe give us an introduction to why fresh air and ventilation is so important? So we want to talk about why fresh air is so important and what organisations need to consider about ventilation as they think about returning to office buildings and adapting office spaces. So we're going to talk about some of the particular things that need to be thought about for spaces that have air conditioning and how that might be different when we're thinking about rooms that have natural ventilation. So we know research tells us what are the benefits of good ventilation. So I thought it would be helpful also to think about um, going forward, how should we be dealing with the, the sort of challenges of ventilation and what some of the benefits of good ventilation. So early in the pandemic, we got used to this UK government slogan, hands, face, space, and organisations made a big effort to adapt operations using those basic ideas. So, however, more recently, uh, people and organisations have been asked to adopt hands, face, space and fresh air. So I want to ask Kath, can you tell us about how the fresh air part of that got added and how ventilation became recognised as an important element of managing the risk of infection? Over the past year, we've seen more evidence come through which explains how this virus transmits. And we now know that it's in respiratory particles, the small aerosols and droplets that we breathe out, um, but we now know it's in some of the very smallest ones of those, which can stay in the air for long periods of time and can build up in the air room in the the air in a room is poorly ventilated. And there's some evidence from outbreaks that show that very poorly ventilated spaces can enable transmission of infection. So as we've learned that over the past year, it's become more important to recognise that we need to mitigate that mode of transmission, and that means understanding ventilation and changing the ventilation in many of our buildings. So many larger office buildings were designed uh, with some sort of air conditioning system that also delivers a certain amount of fresh air that does the basic ventilation uh, function. So organisations might not have thought about the quality of ventilation. It's pretty much been taken for granted. If you've got air conditioning in your office, then you've got proper ventilation. Um, and often occupants don't need to worry about it because they have a lot of control over how things work in any case. So now we need to be a bit more mindful about what's happening in terms of ventilation. Uh, can you tell us 
some of the things we need to be thinking about and what might need to be reviewed in when we go back to office buildings that have air conditioning? So the, it will depend very much on the building and its ventilation system. And it is quite hard to give a single one-size-fits-all answer. Um, many buildings, particularly more modern buildings, should meet current building regulation standards. And as long as the, that ventilation system is checked and that it's been well maintained, it's quite likely that that provides enough fresh air. But particularly older buildings, buildings that have been retrofitted or those which haven't got such clearly designed ventilation systems, they may need to be reviewed for whether they've got low ventilation rates. Uh, it's quite hard to check this, but one way you can do it is to use carbon dioxide meters. And that allows you to look at how much fresh air is in a space compared to how much gets recirculated in there. Uh, some of this can be done locally by a, an in-house team, so a, a, your estates team or facilities management, but sometimes it might mean that you need to get professional advice in to support this. There's also a huge amount of guidance now available. So the Health and Safety Executive, their website has a really good uh, set of information now on ventilation and using carbon dioxide meters. And the Chartered Institution of Building Services Engineers provides some really detailed guidance that allows you to... Um, understand ventilation and think about what you can do in the different settings. That's really interesting, Kath. Um, I just wonder, listening to you talk there, we're talking about air conditioning is, is a way of uh, circulating air in buildings. Are there other kind of ventilation systems that we need to be thinking about here as well? Um, and what's the implication of those? Buildings can be ventilated in, in many different ways. Um, there are essentially basically two ways. One is a mechanical ventilation, and that uses ducts and fans that bring air in and distribute it in the building. And the other way is that you can use natural ventilation, which usually means opening windows or other vents that just allow air to move in naturally. Um, air conditioning is slightly different in that air conditioning is about how we cool and heat the air in a building. And sometimes the air conditioning is combined with the ventilation, so it's all part of the same system, but sometimes it's separate. And many of us are very familiar with those separate systems, you know, the white box on the wall or on the ceiling that recirculates the air. Those are the ones that we have to watch out for because they're the ones that don't necessarily bring in new fresh air. They just cool you down and make you think that the air is good. So organisations are giving a lot of thought to how they might actually change the spaces in their offices, buildings uh, to suit new sort of styles of working and working patterns, um, and that that means that there might be some effects in relation to the existing air conditioning system. Can can you give us some thoughts about what things need to be thought about in terms of um, you know if people want to like set up new partitions, or move things around, change the concentration of people in different parts of the building? I think it's very important to think about the ventilation in conjunction with how you're laying out a space. One of the risks with, for example, partitions is that although people perceive they can be useful for blocking transmission, and if you are very close to somebody, they can block those large droplets, for example, like in a, in a shop or at a counter, putting them in an office can actually block the airflow if we're not careful. So we have to be careful that doesn't happen. You can almost like create zones where you've got higher concentrations of virus. And we want to make sure that the air airflow is, is quite well distributed in the space. 
One of the other things is we should think about the activities that people are doing. So we know that people generate more virus particles or more aerosols generally when they're more active. So if they're talking loudly and talking for continuous amounts of time, that might put more virus into the air than when people are sat passively at desks. And then the other thing we might have to consider is if we have a naturally ventilated office and we need to open the windows a little bit more, that might make things a bit cooler in the winter. So we might want to adjust position of desks and things so people aren't sat quite as close to those windows. Um, we also might want to move desks and furniture to allow people to actually get access to the windows to open them more readily because one of the barriers to people opening windows is often that they're hard to reach and they're hard to get to. That, that's interesting Kath. Um, it makes me just wonder whether actually uh, there's a question around what we're doing or what people do when they come back to the office then if we're looking to keep things as safe as possible. So I think there might be a tension then from what you were saying between the pull to come back to the office to be part of meetings and lots of face-to-face -face talking and interaction um, and what you were saying around that potentially being riskier in terms of generating more, more particles, more aerosols and, and so on. I wonder whether we're in the position where we're saying that actually meetings are better done virtually um, on your own or, or elsewhere rather than kind of coming in for that kind of, uh, that kind of activity and whether things like call centre work lots of kind of work on telephones where you're talking continuously, whether this is something we should be thinking about um, being less of an office-based activity in the future. Any thoughts? Yes, yeah, so these are quite uh, uh, yeah interesting challenges. And I think there is that balance between what's the benefits in terms of mental health and productivity from people being in an office versus what's the additional risks. And I do think that's going to vary over time. So it will depend on things like the prevalence of the virus but I think what's probably quite important is, is that organisations think about this when they're doing risk assessments. And rather than doing sort of top down risk assessments that just you know put numbers on spaces and this is what you must or must not do. I think it's more important to think carefully through the activities that people do um, and involve the people that are in that office in that discussion so we can identify things that might be higher risk that we could adapt in a slightly different way or things that actually are relatively low risk and therefore we can continue doing in a similar way to which we did before. That's music to my ears, Catherine. I think as a, as a psychologist and some of the discussion we've had around adapting offices and thinking about effective office design more generally, we've, we've been talking much more about understanding different activities and, and nature and tasks that people engage in as, as part of their job, job design as well. I think this is a, another extension of this in terms of thinking about that same process um, and how that contributes towards um, risk mapping, as you were saying, and thinking about the, um, the infection risk in space too. So that's really interesting. Thank you. I think just to follow on from that, it's also really important that we don't just think about the office as the engineering and the physical environment. It's that interface between the physical environment and human behaviour. Um, and, you know, there's an awful lot of things that we can already do to make our environments better, which come down to giving people a little bit better information about how to manage their building, about what how to interact in that building, and about giving them responsibility for making sure that place is safer for themselves and for all their colleagues. So I'd like to ask a little bit more about these situations where we have to deal with opening windows. So summertime, you know, it's quite easy to throw the windows open and control overheating and get loads of fresh air in the process. Winter gets more difficult. 
Um, and some of us have been through these difficult situations where you have to put up with the freezing cold because the windows have to be open. But that's not the only way of dealing with winter ventilation. There's some other ideas on it. Yes. Yeah, so just simply opening a window um, is a very crude measure. And actually, ventilation in a naturally ventilated office is a lot more complex than that. So the amount of ventilation will depend on the weather. So the windier it is, you will get more ventilation. And actually, the colder it is, you'll get more ventilation. Because the bigger the temperature difference between indoors and outdoors, the more ventilation you get. So this means that you can adapt what you do through the year. That means if it's windy and cold, you only need really quite small gaps to be able to get good ventilation. Whereas when it's hot and still, you need much bigger openings to get that ventilation through. There are also some other tricks you can play. So many buildings have openings at different heights. Sometimes they'll have them low down, sometimes they'll have them high up. Um, in the hot weather, if you can open both low and high, you can get a nice air circulation because the air will come in low and go out at the high one. In cold weather, what you can do is close the lower one and just open top windows and then the cold, cooler air comes in, mixes with the air in the room and it makes it more comfortable for you. You don't get such cold drafts in that way. One of the real challenges here, though, is, is to do with the quality of windows in offices. And a lot of offices, particularly those higher level windows, don't operate very well. They're badly maintained. They've been painted shut and actually finding ways we can reopen those and give people the means to open them might be the solution we need to make sure our buildings are better ventilated. So there are quite a lot of situations, particularly in older and smaller buildings, where some sort of air conditioning has been retrofit. And this is often the sort of white boxes you referred to earlier. But that's not quite the same as ventilation. That you know, provides the heating and cooling. There's often a bit of misunderstanding about whether that solves their ventilation problem. Yes, there is. And therefore, that's why we really need to check that there's sufficient fresh air in a building. Um, as I said earlier, carbon dioxide meters can be one of the easiest ways to do that. And, you know, there's not a magic number that means you are safe or not safe. But looking at all of the evidence from around the world, it does seem that if you can keep your carbon dioxide concentrations below about 800 parts per million that tells you you've got reasonably good ventilation but if it's going above 1500 parts per million on a regular basis that really is telling you you need to do something about it and improve that environment and some environments are straightforward you know we can just change the flow rates on the system or we can open the windows a bit more some are really hard and particularly some of these ones that have been retrofitted and there we might need different strategies so we might need to think about changing the occupancy of those spaces or we might need to think about putting in new technologies like air cleaning devices which can remove the virus from the air but they obviously don't change the ventilation in the building so kathy was saying about um levels of uh, kind of quality of air here. Are there any links to, to, to broader health and well-being or um, other things that, that um, might be implications of, of having poor air within a building? Yes, there are. And there's actually quite a lot of evidence of this going back many years. So there are studies which show that if you have better ventilation in your bedroom, you sleep better and you perform better the next day. There are plenty of studies in offices and in schools which show that your productivity and performance is related to the ventilation. So the better the ventilation, the better you perform. Um, there are also relationships between ventilation and sickness absence. 
Um, so it shows that particularly around respiratory symptoms, people are less likely to take time off. And I think it's worth thinking about, you know, why would a company invest? Well, when we start looking at the consequences of poor ventilation, the numbers are huge. So if you just look in the UK alone, in 2019, there were over 5 million sick days lost because of respiratory infections. Um, there was a study from Denmark which looked at indoor air quality and associated poor indoor air quality with up to a 9% drop in productivity. You know, that's almost half a day a week. Imagine putting that across your entire organisation. Um, and then we can go back nearly 30 years and find studies from the United States which estimate that their annual cost of poor air quality in offices is around about $40 billion a year. So, you know, these are huge numbers. And actually, it makes a lot of sense to improve ventilation for, for health and for the performance of an organisation. So we've already talked a little bit about CO2 and how that can uh, help us understand whether we've got good ventilation or bad ventilation. And you can see new products have come out even to help you uh, monitor this sort of thing at home. Um, it's not so common in offices, although many uh, buildings may have CO2 sensors, but we just don't realise that that data is already there. Can you tell us a bit more about how you think some of this sort of monitoring technology could be used um, to sort of monitor things in an ongoing way, but also to figure out where we've got bad ventilation? Yeah, so I mean, a, a sort of on a practical basis, if you're the office manager and you're trying to think, well, what do I do now? Um, obviously, the first step is to to do a quick sanity check of your ventilation. Can you see how the air gets in and out? Have you got systems? Do you know what they are? Are they working? You know, if you've even got simple things like bathroom extract fans, do they work? Um, and if you do have mechanical ventilation, do you have a record of its maintenance? and how it's being used. But then when it comes to using CO2 monitors, I think they are a really practical tool. So these are available, they're about um, between about 70 and 200 pounds, depending on what you buy. Um, and you should always look for something called an NDIR monitor, which um, gives you a much better reading than some of the others for carbon dioxide. And essentially the reason we measure carbon dioxide is because it's in our breath when we breathe out. So it's a marker of how much of the air in a space is from other people's breath. Um, and you can use them in two different ways. So you can put them in a space um, for a short period of time, watch what they do as people interact in that space and understand, use that to say, do we know that the ventilation is good enough? And if it's good enough, particularly mechanical ventilation, you can take the monitor out and on you go, you've, you've comfortable, you've measured it and checked. There are other spaces, particularly the naturally ventilated spaces, where you can use them to actively manage the space. So what you can do is put the meter there for people to be able to see with some guidance and people can open and close windows and vents depending on the reading on that meter. See, they're not a magic bullet. They're not infallible. Um, so, you know, they, they will, the, the readings will vary and we shouldn't be sort of a slave to the numbers on them. We need to be thinking about get, using them for broad ideas um, and, and a broad indicator of the ventilation rather than to suddenly go, oh, it's spiked a bit, therefore it must be dangerous. <laughs> it doesn't work quite like that. Um, but those are the really practical tools that people can use. Um, I think an awful lot of this is about how we educate people about how they use their buildings in a better way. Wonderful. 
I think that's a really good place to to leave this, Kath. I think you, you've illustrated, um, again, I think with, with all of the topics around this idea of the, the future workplace and adapting offices, about that mix between the engineering, the design and the behavior, and the need to think about all of these, all of these things together. Um, well, that was fascinating. Thank you so much, Kath and Simon, for, for sharing your thoughts on this topic um, and really showing how kind of good ventilation goes beyond just thinking about tackling COVID-19 and creating safe spaces. So thanks very much for joining us today. You're very welcome. Thanks for having us. Thank you. So if you're interested in finding out more about this project or about this topic in general, um, you can check out our web pages. The link is in the show notes. Thank you very much. Thank you.